the Augustin Hosinga show with your host Augustin Hosinga. Smack the shit out your bitch ass midget girlfriend, nigga. <laughs> Hello, 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 hello. Welcome back to the Agostino Zynga Show, episode number 658, episode number 658 of the Agostino Zynga Show. I hope you are doing well. Wherever this show may find you, I hope you are doing splendid. As you can tell from the sheen on my forehead and the, you know, bounce of my hair, I had a nice, lovely, warm shower, washed my hair after the gym, and I'm feeling great and I'm feeling good. And I've got a massive um, night ahead of me, actually. I'm meant to be going out to Night Tales to go see Roy Perez play, which should be pretty good, um, especially because I got the tickets for free because Night Tales ran some promotion where they were giving away free tickets. So I was able to grab one before they went. I'm not too sure how they're going to sustain that and build a club and also support DJs and stuff. But hey, that's not my concern at the moment. Until I am a club, I won't have to worry about those type of things. But... I am feeling good. I am feeling well. I am well hydrated. I am well, you know, worked out and whatnot. I feel I've got a little pump going on, although I'm not look liking how I'm looking. I'm looking a little bit too wham for my liking. As I mentioned earlier, it is Alton Mason um, flipping season and we need to kind of go out there and just get skinny and just get hot, right? No Zempic needed. No Zempic needed. Only, 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 only hard work and dedication and that's what i'm doing at the moment which is why i'm sipping on that good old coffee ah lovely 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 but yeah thanks so much for joining me been a pleasure as per usual never actually a chore i'm doing something different today i am streaming um this via my normal means of streaming so that should be pretty interesting to how i'm doing it but hey we're going to give this a go and then we're going to see how it develops over time anyway so, not to waste too much. Don't want to waste too much of your time. We're going to go through all the topics I want to go through now. So, number one topic I want to go through quickly. I've got this Telfar bag, right? I've got this nice, nice olive Telfar bag that I'm kind of using as a kind of a cheaper option of like that famous. Do you remember that picture? There's that famous picture of flipping, what's his name? Frank Ocean wearing a Celine bag. I'm sure most of you who are like into clothes know what I'm talking about. Um, there's a famous picture of Frank Ocean, um, Celine bag. Let's see if I can get up on here and I'll show you. But this is what I was thinking when I went with this color, because there's loads of colors of flipping, you know, um, these Telfar bags out there that you can get or Telfies as the ladies like to call them. But I decided to go for this. Let me show you. Let me show you. Let me show you. Let me show you. So this is what I was trying. This is basically what I was thinking about. There's this famous picture of what's his name? Frank Ocean at Paris Fashion Week gallivanting around Paris doing what Frank Ocean does and he was pictured having this legendary Celine bag from the Phoebe Philo days what's funny also is that Frank Ocean in this picture looks like every kid on TikTok now every kid that's into streetwear wears this same sort of outfit he's got the bubble jacket on uh, or the down jacket on he's got the Arterix beanie 
Do you know what I mean? The light denim and shit. The only thing he's probably missing is Salomon sneakers. But this legendary Salim bag is basically what I went for with my, with my Telfy. So it's a much, 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 much cheaper version of what Flipping Frank Ocean has. But this is what I was basically trying to go for. You've got this great picture here, actually, which is flipping awesome. I'll get it up on here, basically. Let me see if it loads. Thank you, it did. Well, actually, let's, let's go for this picture. This picture is probably the best one here. There's this great picture here. As you can see, Frank sitting next to uh, Michelle Lamy and obviously the legendary Rick Owens wearing a do-rag, which is flipping hilarious. Look, you see Rick Owens there wearing a do-rag. These are all pictures taken from Paris Fashion Week. I forgot what show it was for. And then there's a picture here also with Frank Ocean sat next to Tremaine, who's also, you know, now working at Supreme. Things are changing. I think he was helping out with Blonde doing some creative consulting type of stuff. And now, you know, he's at Supreme and obviously smashing stuff with his own brand, Denim Tears. But that was basically the idea behind me choosing to get this Telfar bag and this olive sort of colorway. But one thing I liked about the Telfar bag is that it's got these straps, right? It's got these really nice straps that I'm going to show you here on the screen. Let me, get, let me get the thing back on you again. But it's got these really, really nice straps, right? That you can put over because you know you can hold it like, that, like a normal bag here, but it's got these really nice straps. But then these straps, I realized, aren't for crossbody; they're for your shoulder. So you know these kind of go, it kind of fits. It looks a bit weird when you got it over your crossbody. So I'm, what I'm going to do later on as a project is I'm going to remove is I'm going to remove the straps um, here and basically drag them all the way towards the end over here. So the straps are going to be somewhere around there. So that I can put it all around my waist. I can wear it kind of crossbody, sort of like a messenger type style bag. So that's basically a project that I've got going today. So I'm going to be spending a lot of time drinking loads of coffee and stitching, um, you know, cutting the strap off and then reapplying it back on there again. Because you know what? I'm not precious about my stuff. I wear my stuff. I cut it up if I don't need it. So I cut it up, I edit it, I change it. But also the main thing is I wear my stuff. So I'm really looking forward to doing that project later on today. So that's one thing I've got on the deck. Then I was actually sitting around thinking, you know what? As a bit of a throwback, let me go back and see my Tumblr because there's been a lot of discourse around people basically reverting back to Tumblr. I think it's just basically this... um this common thing that everyone's basically on, right? Where they're trying to relive the glory days of the 2000s. And of course, back then, Tumblr was awesome. I remember back then, what I was doing with my Tumblr was that I had, um, I think most people had the same thing. Before the mobile app came out, there was this, there was this email address each Tumblr account had, and you could basically send your pictures that you were taking, like your mobile uploads, and you could send, no, as mobile uploads, you could mobile, yeah, sorry. You could send a picture you took with your phone, directly to your tumblr using this email address as like a mobile upload and it was a really cool way to sort of like document and journal your basically you know your your life in general and it was good to kind of look back on it and kind of see the stuff that you were kind of up to so i found my old tumblr my old tumblr actually legitimately found it and here it is my old bloody tumblr and the last post as you can see here is from 2017 which is hilarious and it happens to be around the time when i was going out like i don't know it's Wednesday to Sunday every single week and this was also a time when I was you know working crappy jobs as well so I had the horror of going back to a crappy job but also had the relief of being able to let go and go to flipping these forest raves because this is where the picture was taken there's a picture on screen with me holding a bottle of Mary Diomi um Nero di Tiota red wine I'm assuming right this this looks like a red wine that you should be having with a meal but here I am holding this bottle of red wine at a forest rave somewhere 
And these forest raves used to be really popular, um, you know, a few years back here in London, where randomly people would kind of, you know, put up these um, PA systems in the middle of basically Hackney Wick. And you would basically, the only way you'd find out where the forest rave is, you'd have to kind of walk around the forest and kind of keep your ear open. But obviously over time, the neighbours will start complaining about the noise. So that's a lower the sound. So you couldn't really hear it. So you just have to hope and you'd bump into people. And there'd usually be raves that would happen after the clubs because, you know, our clubs here are rubbish and they stay, you know, they only, they close at like 4 a.m. or something, which is way too early. If you're really about raving, you, you know, 4 a.m. is basically when things get started. So people would go from these forest raves from like 4 a.m. all the way until sometime in the afternoon. It was absolutely, absolutely massive. Like I really, really did enjoy it. Um, but it was a bit crazy at that sort of time. Actually, let me get, but yeah, um, let me just continue on here. So we got that, courtesy of this. Let me get rid of this, actually. I don't want this on screen. But yeah, um, and then, just continue looking back on it. It's just funny, back then, because I'm going to be talking about sobriety a little bit and this annoying kind of trend that's happening where everyone's basically talking about it and bragging about it. And kind of, I feel like sobriety is being kind of weaponized, or not weaponized, it's kind of being gamified. It's kind of being turned into like the new CrossFit, um, the new keto diet um the new paleo the new carnivore it's always a trend it's never like just hey we decided that we've kind of you know lifestyle edits we want to move on to do different things no it has to be this big song and dance but it's just funny me looking back at some of my times here in my flipping um tumblr where a lot of my stuff like even these pictures are all taken within a drunken stupor there's a picture here where i think i was leaving the brixton academy and this is after a travis scott show as you can see there's many caucasian kids with their tops off so it's either that's the thing with this picture either this is a really good gay club or this is a Travis Scott party. That's all it is. <laughs> right? Travis Scott parties, they're he's got the most, I think Travis Scott and Kendrick Lamar must be the two people in hip hop who have the biggest white fan bases. I think so. It's really strange. They have really big white fan bases, but you know, they're also kind of, you would imagine they won't, they're not described as somebody you would think would be like a coconut. They are, they are kind of looked at as like, you know, real guys, but they also have a very, 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 very um big white fan base and of course there's a pictures here of me at some probably i don't know where i'm at here probably at some house party somewhere again another picture like i don't know what the hell this is it's probably me throwing a bag in here like everything here contains alcohol look at this all of it is alcohol these are pictures probably taken in berlin me holding a, a what you call it a, a little bottle of a berliner luft which is an amazing really sweet um kind of liquor type of drink that kind of tastes like the way i'd imagine lean would taste but it's probably not there's another picture of here of a beer from in berlin so my personality back then was very very um 2d it was all about drinking and going out and meeting randoms like i have no idea who these people are on screen absolutely none there's a horrible picture of me on a bus somewhere with a joint in my mouth thinking that i look cool absolutely cringe me you know a picture of something i was eating like okay cool a picture of some whiskey that I probably bought from Lidl. Like, all of it revolves around drinking and working out. Drinking and working out. Pictures of here, Barcelona somewhere. This picture of me and my friend, we went to Primavera Festival. Meeting some randoms again. Like, crazy, cringy, horrible things. But, I have to admit, I have to admit, it was a lot of fun. It was bloody a lot of fun. Um, But, I was just looking at that and just thinking about the whole, what you call it? Thinking about the whole um sobriety sort of stuff right and what's happening with that 
and why people are kind of making it into a trend because it's kind of getting on my nerves a little bit seeing everybody's talking about it but we'll touch about it later on in the show i've got many things to dig in about anyway moving on from that i was also checking um social media and i happened to stumble across this really funny post courtesy of the one and only courtesy of the one and only kanye west you gotta love kanye innit? you've got to flip and love kanye i love how he just pops out and just reminds people what time he's on because i guess on his side he must have people basically um i won't say hoping that he has a breakthrough hoping that he has some sort of turnaround but i like i like that he kind of feels like he has to keep reminding people that he does whatever the hell he wants and it kind of reminds me of that Gerard Piquet interview recently in El País where they're asking him questions about, um, you know, his, uh, what you call it, his um, relationship with Shakira and how now they're being divorced because obviously, you know, he was uh, allegedly caught cheating and whatnot. And the internet is completely turned against him and they're hounding him online and trying to bully him. And he was basically like, hey, I'm going to do whatever the hell I want. All right. And it was really refreshing to hear that sort of thing instead of like trying to appease and win over the internet when in general, when in general, no one, no one, no one, no one, no one, no one cares, right? In general. And also, you're never going to win over the internet when you're really the bad guy. So I love that Kanye just kind of pops up randomly. I want to remind people, hey, I'm still on that mad time. So Kanye got on his Instagram recently and decided to put a poster up of the, you know, the funny legendary comedic movie 21 Jump Street featuring Jonah Hill and Channing Tatum. And the caption that he wrote is as follows. Watching Jonah Hill in 21 Jump Street made me like Jewish people again. <laughs> no one should take anger against one or two individuals and transform that into hatred towards millions of innocent people. No Christian can be labeled anti-Semite knowing Jesus is a Jew. Thank you, Jonah. I love you. This statement is, you know, riddled in contradictions, but I just love, forget all that. I just love the fact that he pops up and reminds people what time he's on. Because I'm pretty sure on his side, there are people like thinking because he's been quiet on social media, he hasn't said anything. People are thinking, oh, Kanye's changed. He's seen the light. He's had a breakthrough. He's come back around. He knows what he did is bad. He's our Kanye again. He's like, nah, I'm no one's Kanye. I am yay. I'm no one's Kanye. You cannot control me. Nothing's ever going to change in that regard. I am who I am. And I... I love it. I love that he's like that. I love that he kind of continually pushes the line on that sort of message and doesn't stray from it in the slightest. That's the first thing that I like about the guy because part of me thinks, hey, it's disappointing, of course, if you're a long-time fan of his and you see what stuff that he's doing and it can make you make you fall out of love with him, blah, blah, blah. But I, something as well that I love, that kind of concept of F you money, of he's actually living that life, similar with like Elon Musk. Say what you want about these guys, but at least, at least... They are using that wealth and that money they have to live life exactly as how they want it to live. As, uh, live life exactly how they want and say anything that they want to say. Because they have the room, they have the luxury, they have the fun <gasps> sorry, the, sorry, the financial backing. Bloody hell, that hiccup was weird. They have the financial security to kind of be okay. Because us regular people, we have jobs, we have reputations to kind of care about, future prospects, family members that we're scared of friends that we're scared of right we have to kind of keep ourselves kind of kowtowed and you know kind of toe the line and be meek and whatnot but sometimes if you've got the money to say f you and to say exactly how you feel even if you are going to be labeled an anti-semite even if you're going to be endorsing people like you know 
what's his name up there, right? The book I've got. Even though you're going to be talking like that guy is your best friend, hey, at least you're doing it. And even more so with Kanye, I have to respect it with Ye, is that he's doing it as being like a cool guy, as being like the the pinnacle of cool guy, where he knows all those people in that scene, for the most part, are very heavy, left-leaning, super liberal. So the fact that he's coming out and being this hardcore, right-wing, Christian conservative type of guy, it's going to alienate him from his entire friend base, which it basically did. But because he's so genius and his talent is so high level, he knows all it takes is another good run of products and they're all going to be coming back again, you know, trying to kiss his feet and trying to get invited back to shows and go to flipping listening parties and whatnot. He knows how fickle the game is. So he's just kind of playing it like a fiddle. But of course, if you're his friend, if you're the people that he dissed along the way, the Yoon from Ambushes, the Tremaine from Denim Tears and Supreme, and all these people, uh, John John Legend, if you're those kind of people and you know him, like you'd, you'd have to be like, hey, if I see you, I'm going to punch you in the face. Because he's definitely somebody that you feel like hasn't necessarily felt the consequences of his words. He kind of has fights with paparazzi people. But when Diddy went to put it on him, he suddenly got on the internet. Was a, that was a really lame bit I thought of Kanye at that time, where, where Flippin' Diddy was trying to get at him to try and meet up. And he was basically screenshotting the conversations and sharing it on his feed and being like, if anything happens to me, Diddy did it. Like basically just snitching, like acting really, really weird about it, which I thought was really, really lame. But again, He's a billionaire. You can kind of do billionaire things. And, you know, that is the kind of uh, weirdly secret thing that I wish I could do. Of course, I wouldn't come out and flipping be a flipping anti-Semite. But just the ability to just say what you want and kind of fly off the seat of your flipping pants and whatnot and just kind of go with the flow and, and, and let it be as it be. Especially if you're supremely talented, you know everyone's going to always come back because your talent is, you know, basically undeniable. So big up Kanye for being the guy that he is. <laughs> big up Kanye for being the guy it is and reminding people that hey i'm still on that time by the way don't think i'm your friend i'm not your friend no 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 not your friend so yeah big up yay big up yay then um of course let's quickly move on from that one and talk about this have you guys seen this have you guys seen this i thought this was absolutely hilarious so obviously yeet is like blowing up right now and it's definitely the the new kind of like star in hip-hop who everybody's really jacking and everyone's thinking is the next guy and all the kids are real big fans of his and he has really cool style and he's just in the album wise his sound is starting to become a little bit distinctive he's starting to have his own lexicon his own language the melodies are really interesting he's producing now he has these different um uh he has these different sort of like um pseudonyms he kind of goes under where he kind of features himself on tracks and stuff so really interesting dude really interesting um character but you rarely ever see him under the the kind of you know the the shysty mask or snood or you know big beanie kind of thing the banner that he wears you rarely see him under it and now i kind of know why because this picture's kind of gone viral on twitter of yeet backstage at his show which is quite wholesome with a fan who brought some cotton candy because he loves it and let's just say there's a reason why yeet keeps that flipping head mask hoodie woolly hat type of thing on his head because underneath that is a very uh it's a very interesting looking fellow (laughs) let's just say that very interesting looking fellow but one thing that made me think about this while looking at the picture was that, number one, he looks really, really regular, which might mean, 
which might be kind of the reason why a lot of kids kind of like him because if I'm not mistaken, he's got some European in him. I think he's like Mexican and something in Europe. I don't know which one it is. So you can just imagine what his tours are going to be like when he comes to Europe. He's going to tear it apart, right? For sure. But because he looks so like, you know, average looking, I think that maybe kind of may, um, it may kind of, uh, it may kind of make kids like, like him more because of that. But also the thing that's really clear about it is that since he's blown up, you can definitely tell, like, I think every rapper goes through this stage, especially the young ones. They go through this stage all the time because you'd imagine if you're a rapper and you're, you know, doing your thing coming up, you're probably surviving on flipping Popeyes and Taco Bell and whatever else you can get your hands on, but you're not eating regularly or you're kind of always, you know, just kind of skipping meals to pay for studio. But this time, this guy doesn't skip meals. And I know, trust me, I know what a, a, a skipper meal looks like, right? And you can tell this version of Ye isn't skipping any meals whatsoever definitely fame is good and i love that this is a kind of process that you see with these guys where you know they they start wearing a million chains they start wearing crazy clothes they start you know buying crazy cars and eating loads and then they sort of settle down but they need to have that process of like gorging out and going crazy because much of their kind of come up has been spent sleeping on people's couches um you know borrowing money or kind of you know splitting one joint between six guys you know sharing lean all this sort of stuff and then suddenly when you get money boo, it blows up but one thing i do like about the kid i have to be honest he looks like this regular but he's also kind of like a little bit like a superhero a little bit because once he gets on stage and he's actually performing and doing his thing he looks completely different and obviously look at this video here on the concert of him performing in montreal and, you know, the kids are going absolutely insane. Let me play a bit of the clip here so you can hear what it kind of sounds like. But this sounds like it's going off crazy. So yeah, clearly everyone's going crazy and loving it. And then there's another really cool image of here that you can see of him on stage with fans, of course, in there as well, going absolutely crazy in the crowd. I'll play that sound again so you can hear it. And I do like that even though there's loads of... I do like that even though there's loads of flipping, um, there's loads of phones. I still like that the kids are still dancing and having a good time. They're moshing and jumping up. So it's a good sort of balance. Whereas I feel like a lot of the people within my dance music scene, depending on who the DJ is, they just either go crazy or they just stand with their phone. There's no in between. Whereas I like these kids, you know, they're going out there, they're recording this stuff, they're grabbing the moments and kind of, you know, having it there in their phones that they can kind of look back on. But they're also having a good time also and making sure that they can kind of, you know, um, absorb the flipping moment in the moment and not just kind of look for it through their phone. But this final picture is really interesting here, right, of him on stage because he looks completely different to how he looks when he's behind the scenes with fans. And I do like that kind of superhero aspect of him where when he puts on the balaclava and when he's sort of like on stage in these sort of like yeet wear, right? When these sort of like, you know, what, what yeet basically wears, all black, big boots, ripped jeans, patches all over them, flared, tight t-shirts, you know, chains with like upside down crosses and shit, you know, how kids have to be edgy these days. But then when he's behind the scenes, you know, um, talking to fans and chilling out and whatnot, he's there looking 
basically very, very regular. I do like that about him. He has that super side, he has that superhero side about him, but he also has the completely regular side about him, which may be the reason why a lot of fans are really big into him because he doesn't look like, you know, he doesn't look like a fucking athlete. He looks like a regular, regular, regular chill guy. So big up um, Yeet for being Yeet and big up him for shining and obviously for the kids for feeling it. That is bloody nice to see that is bloody nice to see moving on from that moving on from that let's talk about this have you guys seen this this is very interesting so this is courtesy of bloomberg and it's regarding ticketmaster and it's regarding the cure who did a really interesting and cool concept right where they did the following um the cure price tour tickets as low as twenty dollars ticket master had other issues so had other ideas and obviously most of you know um the cure are going on tour they should be on tour now and um they basically announced the tour but they also wanted to make it super affordable so they basically had it hard set that all their tour tickets would be 20 quid to make sure that all fans could be able to go see them if you can afford it which is amazing but then of course when those tickets get funneled through the ticket master on their platforms and stuff they added on to fees that would make up the difference of whatever they wanted to basically get from it, which resulted in the tickets going up to a crazy amount. I think there's an actual tweet here that kind of features it. Where is it? I think if, I can, if it can load up on here. But let's read, the, let's read the article in regards. So it says, Ticketmaster is once again drawing the anger of concert goers after some fans planning to see the British band The Cure reported paying fees that exceeded the price of the actual ticket itself. Cure, the 1980s new wave darlings with a cult following, tried to keep the prices low, selling the tickets for as little as £20. Um, service fees and facilities and other processing costs can easily exceed that some buyers reported. The band said on the website it was selling seats to verified fans of block tickets scalpers and limit the inflated resale prices ticket must not immediately apply so they do an amazing thing to try and make sure that they get around the you know the scalping issue that we have here and resellers and whatnot and then ticket master basically says all right bet you just watch and they basically added loads of fees onto it which basically meant that the prices went for a crazy amount let's actually get the picture up on here let's see if it loads but this picture from a Twitter user that kind of um, showed exactly how much the flipping tickets were after they added all the flipping fees onto it. And it was absolutely crazy. Uh, let me get up on here one second to see if it loads. Bear with me a sec. Body, 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 bar, bar. It's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Let's see. Da, 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 da. <laughs> Let's see how it goes. Yeah, there we go. It's loading now. So this is a tweet here. That kind of features what the final prices were when you head into checkout and you go and flip and grab the, whatchamacallit, when you go grab the tickets for Cure, the final kind of price breakdown that you had to end up paying was crazy. Okay, cool. It looks like they took it down. Great. Awesome. We don't even get to see the ticket price, but it doesn't matter. Moving on from that story, we've now got another story regarding ticket prices and whatnot in Ticketmaster regarding this. Ticketmaster faces a class action lawsuit over Drake ticket prices. A Canadian law firm has filed a class action lawsuit against Ticketmaster over the alleged pricing gouging of tickets on Drake's upcoming tour. The Toronto Star reports the Montreal-based firm LPC Avocat Inc. claims that the ticket in Behemoth initially misled consumers for its own financial gain. According to the complaint obtained by Toronto Star, the Montreal man, um, a Montreal man, so he purchased two official platinum seats for Drake's July 14th concert at the Bell Centre, each costing $789.54. The following day, a new show, July 15th, was allegedly added to Ticketmaster with the same seats listed roughly for 350 less. 
God damn. In the suit, LPC Advocate Inc. Um, alleges that Ticketmaster knew that the July concerts um, in advance, but withheld the information. He also alleges the official platinum seats um, were ordinarily sold and at an artificially inflated premium price in bad faith. The Toronto Star reports the plaintiff are seeking compensatory damages and exaggerate an aggregate sorry amount of the differences between the prices charged for their shift platinum seats and what um, regular prices ought to be have been per the complaint they are also seeking $300 per customer in punitive um, damages so there's been an ongoing issue of course with ticket bus and prices and gouging and whatnot and I feel like it's really annoying because you got on one side people who are like oh don't complain about ticket prices because they're ticket prices and if you can't afford to go then don't go but the issue is that the booking fees and the processing fees and stuff are becoming so crazy that essentially you can afford the face value of the ticket most people can right anywhere between ten dollars to sixty dollars or whatever it may be but once you add processing fees and booking fees and that nonsense and it starts going up to eighty dollars one hundred dollars it starts to become really really crazy especially if you're thinking you're driving down there you haven't paid for parking you haven't paid for petrol um you haven't you know accounted for your food drink um putting your stuff in the cloakroom whatever you're going to be suddenly starts to add up and you're looking at already going to see your favorite artist perform at hundreds and hundreds of pounds which may explain why so many people are now opting to go to festivals because at least with festivals you've got the kind of face value that you pay and even if they add a booking fee on top you're still getting to see loads of people for the value of basically one ticket so you kind of get a lot more bang for your buck but individual shows of course are the ones where artists get the most from because they sell merch and it's also just their own dates and their own fans and whatnot if they want to be so the issue that i have in general is that the fans who actually want to go see their artists cannot because the ticket master essentially prices them out but then of course i also think the majority of seats sold at these concerts are going to be going to like you, what you would assume to be like GA audience, right? The general admission audiences, not VIP. But so they make up the large majority of them and they're kind of pricing those guys out of it, which kind of leads to, you know, terrible shows and whatnot. And, you know, artists maybe not be able to fulfill certain things and all that. It just becomes crazy overall. And I just feel like overall, if you're a fan of somebody, being able to see them perform live shouldn't be like a privilege. It should be something that every fan should do at least once with your artists. Cause there are some artists that you see perform live once and you're like, you know what? I'm good on seeing a perform ever again because you're not really that good live. Whereas I think overall, it doesn't matter if you like them or don't, it's just good as an overall fan experience to see them perform one time. And if the ticket master are pricing you out of it through these unfair practices, it's just really, really, really bad. And I wish we could get to a place where it was kind of somewhat balanced where we can maybe have these maybe affecting only certain marquee events, maybe big theater events, but this is happening across the board from like venues are like 500 cap to like 20,000 stadiums. They are doing this on all accounts. So I'm hoping the kind of backlash and the fact that a lot of Gen Z kids basically are getting pissed off at it is going to lead to some sort of change because we can't be having this going on anymore, man. We can't be having this going on anymore. But um, big up the kid or the guy, sorry, who is suing, um, you know, Ticketmaster now. Hopefully he gets some benefit from it and hopefully he, you know, is able to kind of, you know, basically show them up for being the flipping crooks that they are and we're able to live in a situation where, fans are able to buy tickets for their favorite artists and it doesn't turn into some crazy thing that only vip people are kind of permitted to go to it's absolutely annoying i hate that stuff anyway moving on from that we got this really great article that i went to talk about um courtesy of flipping ra that's absolutely wonderful and kind of for me is a bit of a throwback to the golden era of ra 
for me, the golden era of RA was around 2005, no, 2005, no, 2004 to, to like 2016 was for me the golden era of flipping RA when I discovered it around that sort of time where basically I immersed myself on every single part of that site. I legitimately think I must have read every feature back then. I must have went through every DJ poll, every flipping, um, every flipping um, DJ poll, every feature, every interview, every mix series. I went through everything. I devoured the whole thing because that was the first time I sort of discovered electronic music, dance music and DJs overall. And I went to really kind of absorb everything about it, especially because I was, I was all the way in ends. I was living in Canton in my mom's house and whatnot. And I just was all the way away from that whole scene. I didn't know nothing about it. I had no cool hips of friends. I was kind of just in ends slamming it out. And I kind of was transported to this other world when I see all these features and these interviews. And if anything, those first features that I read about Berlin, about the club scene overall, is what basically made me want to go. Like, I think I have a lot of people, like, thank a lot of them. And I do kind of appreciate people who kind of come up to me and say, oh, wow, man, your podcast basically made me want to go to Berlin and made me want to go to these places, made me want to go to Fold and shit. That's obviously, you know, I, I'm appreciative of that completely. But, you know, my main thing, my kind of, you know, I take I take no kind of um, credit for it because a lot of that early sort of inspiration I got was from RA. RA are the one that kind of gave me that wanderlust. They're the one that made me be this flipping weird techno tourist that I am at the moment where I kind of jump on cheap Ryanair flights and hop to these kind of fun different cities all over the place to basically absorb their town, absorb what they do and kind of kind of catch a vibe and whatnot. And this article here, courtesy of RA, is another example as to why the site was so good back then. Obviously, it's gone through some changes editorially, staff-wise, and maybe kind of, you know, overall what they stand for, and the kind of product is maybe watered down. Maybe it's a reflection of the scene. I don't know. But this is, for me, another example as to why RA was definitely one of the better platforms in dance music overall when it comes to putting these articles together. This article is titled as follows. The founder of Hop Tosse, Berlin's beloved club, revealed the secrets to their longevity. And if you don't know that Hop Tosse is basically a club that's on a boat and it's from the founders of a cl another club called Club de Visionaire, which is essentially on the canal, which is one of the most, I think, captive... Well, I, I think awe-inspiring or maybe kind of appeal, yeah, maybe awe-inspiring clubs to go to because of the decking that it's got that kind of looks out to the canal, the fact that the music policy is really eclectic and wild and not very much centered around techno, which is very different and very kind of bizarre for Berlin because, of course, it's a techno city for the most part. So to go to a club like Club Divisionaire and kind of go into this really amazing little spot where you only have to pay like between five euros to 10 euros, sometimes maybe maximum 15 euros to go in and you usually have great DJs playing all the way until like Monday morning when they open on the Saturday and there's this nice decking looks over a canal and when the sun comes up you can be out there smoking a cigarette or tripping balls off of MDMA or something it's ridiculously perfect but they've also got this other spot that they have that's on a boat which is a flipping crazy place to be at. I haven't actually been there yet I'm, I'm actually going to be going there when I go in April I've always walked past it but whenever I'm going I'm always going to got other plans in mind but this time that I go in April um, hopefully I'm going to April 22nd I'm definitely going to make sure that I visit there and kind of, you know, see what it's all about because I've DJed on a boat before. I've played on a boat for like a staff party back when I was doing that sort of kind of grind and hustle. And, you know, let me tell you, it's not the most easiest place to kind of play and to kind of set up and to kind of create a vibe overall. But I love that how this kind of article essentially dives deep into how they basically made it work. And what I like about the feature, the interview, what they speak about is twofold. Number one, 
is that Hoptose, they've not tried to make it a club on the boat. They've tried to utilize it being a boat and try to basically make it work as also being a club, if you get what I mean. They haven't just tried to like soundproof all of it and basically try to make it to a moving thing. They've basically worked within its parameters and basically it's like a, it feels like an ongoing project that they're kind of fine tuning, figuring out what speakers work, um, what sort of bar system they want to use, what sort of booking policy they have. It's all kind of malleable and kind of changes over time. But I do like the entire feature because it kind of is an interview where they where they speak to the two guys involved with um, Hop Tosse, which is uh, Gregor Kramer and a guy called David Horn. And they go through the entire thing. And there's a video clip here, actually. Some great pictures, obviously, on the boat as well. But there's a video clip where they talk about how they basically um, repurpose the space and create it. And I think it was a really good kind of insight into what goes into kind of creating these sort of amazing little spaces. And I'm going to play the video here now so you can kind of get a feel of this amazing club on the boat that isn't trying to be a club is trying to be a club in a boat which i think is fucking perfect so this is a video courtesy of ra it says repurposing unique spaces hop tosse a dj once jumped into water after he lost his records it was actually winter it was minus eight or something after a long party we left and he skipped his record back from the bridge into the water shall i mention the name <laughs> Actually, it's Francesco Delgada, and we call him since then Francesco Del Aqua. <laughs> I'm Gregor. We founded CDV in 2001, and Hoppe and we took over in 2013. I still uh, do all the bookings, I'm still passionate for music, and always looking for the best sound. My name is David. I started here in 2006 as a boat builder and then later on I continued in uh, CDV. Uh, also set up an event agency with other boats and venues. The first time I saw the boat it was on the other side of the harbour, laying there. They just brought it there. The upper deck was cut off, like so I saw the underdeck and you know it was quite impressive actually. And then to see the second floor built on top of them again. Was, that's a massive boat here, it's gonna be fun, yeah. I really liked it because it's an amazing view here and actually my home harbor, <laughs> let's say, yeah. Main problem with taking over a boat is that it's not supposed to be a club. In the winter it's in the water, so it's really hard to heat. In the summer it's still in the water and it's really hard to cool. And then also there's a um, problem with the height of the room. To put a proper sound system in here is challenging because when it's empty, you have a complete different sound um, experience than when it's full because the room around the people gets smaller. So you need like a setting that is somehow in between for a full and an empty club. The condition of the boat is also quite important that you have something which is uh, not too rusty maybe. You need your permits and electricity is important. The boat is moving, it's a moving part, and then you have a cable that is basically needs to be stabilized. So that's the challenge of electricity going on board and then also water going in and out of the boat. So this is obviously the hopper tosser, and um, we'll start going on the former foredeck which was not covered originally, we covered it. 
think this is one of the best views in Berlin that you can get. In summer, this is a, also a bar. We have a bar here and then a tent set up and more tables. Over there, you can see the Badeschiff. And this is the arena, which is a big event space. Here we are in the main floor. This is the entrance. You come in, you have the bar, nice bar around. DJ booth, chilling area. And that's the dance floor. And that's our new sound system, which is custom made for us. It's made from a guy in Slovenia. I like uh, his approach because uh, the way he builds speakers, it's like Korg's Jazz speakers in, uh, up front here. And he has like an idea of a very round sound, which is quite fat, but still very defined. This is our downstairs floor. So now down here on this floor, it's different. This is not a custom-made uh, sound system for us. It's like uh, more like a patchwork and uh, by try and error system, I'd say. <laughs> yeah, that's how you do it. We have like the DJ booth in the back, which brings us to a situation where we could install four of uh, good bases over here. On top, we have in the corners also some old D&B speakers, which I really love. They're very well built. I think it's always good to combine things and see what's working. Especially for places like this, which yeah. are not normal, acoustically perfectly That's set right, up. That's right, actually, yeah. If you want to start a business like that on a boat, it's very important uh, to check out the spot where you are, neighbors, because you have the problem with sound on, on water travels a lot. I mean, back in the days in Berlin, there were many more spaces used for, for clubs and venues and everything. But I think the sound problem with neighbors really pushed clubs further and further away. So I think the sound issue is the most important. So make sure that you don't have very close neighbors next to you. Otherwise, you need to soundproof the boat very properly, what we also did. Anyway, you get the gist. It's absolutely amazing space. I can't wait to visit it when I do eventually go there. I've got a couple people in the chat saying to me, yeah, it's a good spot. Citizens saying I can smell the speed through the screen. Hilarious. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm definitely, 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 definitely can't wait um, to go and flip in, um, check it out. I really, really, really can't wait to check it out. Um, what people say, not running the same as I'm like, but hopefully see you in the comment thing. Because I feel you should really think about going to a big <laughs> lows. Yeah, why not, mate? I might make it. Uh, 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 I might film the whole process actually. But yeah, um, big up Hop Toss saying again. I was checking this video and it's a really cool little series that they've got. I think for promoters anyway, RA. So they put this really cool series together. I'm pretty sure it's called like for the promoters. Let me quickly just make the screen smaller. But I'm pretty sure it's like a promoter series, which is really cool. So it's kind of giving people kind of an insight into what goes into kind of building these clubs. They're kind of looking, yeah, it's called the art of promoting. If they're kind of looking to sort of check it out and kind of build a club themselves. And also just for people curious, you know, if you're just a fan like I was. But I think for me, ever since I kind of saw what Rogan has done with the um, comedy mothership that he's got over there in Austin and kind of how he's been able to sort of like scratch that itch and being somebody that's clearly a stand-up, you know, geek and fiend and obsessive with it, even though if you don't think Rogan's funny, he's kind of doing, 
um, what he kind of, you know, a dream maybe of all maybe comedians, if they had the ability and means to just open your own club and book yourself and your friends and kind of do rewrite all the wrongs of the industry in your own sort of space. And I think that's what I'm kind of going for as well. So that my, my North star, as Brendan Shaw would say, is to kind of have my own club. And when I see stuff like this and I see what they're doing out there in Berlin, it kind of fills me with hope and inspiration of what I'm going to end up doing in the future. But it's also a little bit bittersweet because you know, this is only a, this is kind of the only place probably in Europe that something like this can kind of exist where this kind of legit club on the boat basically, you know, does its thing, um, kind of all year round. And obviously they have the ability to kind of go into Club Division Air also. I don't know if they're kind of, you know, evolving on from that, but Club Division Air feels like more of a seasonal place that's only open in the summer, which won't be open by the time I go, which I'm really gutted about. But still, I love that they're kind of providing this and being kind of open with it. And I also love the fact that the clubs in general have such, or over there anyway, they pay such attention to detail, to the sound. There's a lot that goes into it. You don't hear, really hear these guys speaking about or kind of, you know, pontificating on the need to make sure that they book the top 15 people on DJ Mag or like on, you know, Mix Mag top 50, top 100. It's all just something that they do from friends of friends, recommendations. They'll try people out. There's a clip on, I think there's a section of the interview where he mentions he kind of gave, I think somebody from Slow Life, a promotion um, group and also a record label, a chance to do a party because the guys kept beg, kind of bugging him and they gave him a random day to kind of do it and then he kind of caught on and then they kind of became part of the family. So clearly there's always a kind of a chance to kind of have your event go on there. And I'm sure if I was living out there, and I was able to kind of prove my worth and kind of show that I had some level of community. I'm sure they'll probably give me an opportunity to put on the party there also. But why not take the inspiration forward? Why not think bigger? In the words of Virgil Abloh, instead of thinking super, super small, why not just think, hey, why not I set up my own club? It'll be fucking interesting though in the future because I'll probably be the only person who's still renting, doesn't own a car but also has their own club. <laughs> It'll be one of those kind of things because I'm sure having clubs is the same thing like, you know, having a bar or a pub. You can just take over an existing space um, instead of kind of building up from the ground up. It's what people do in restaurants. It just gets spots already that might have kitchens in them and kind of build up that way. Or you can kind of repurpose a new spot, but you can kind of take over spots that already kind of exist and just kind of paint over the X name and kind of restart it that way. Um, that could also be an option, but I'm definitely going to look forward and kind of look to do that when I go... Um, sometime in the future to have my own club but I am really looking forward to going to visit this place in April and I can't wait to go see what's about because you know like 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 unlike some places over there it kind of you know centers more around disco a lot of electro a lot of house music so not a lot of techno in there but obviously they have some of the best people playing there also especially people that want to play after hours because it's open until Monday and the thing is I remember when I passed it in the winter sometime I think around June no, I think I'm in October of last year. I kind of walked past it because I was on my way to go somewhere else. And it looked really wet. It looked super sticky. So it's the kind of place where, because the guy even says in the clip, where it's kind of really hard to heat and to keep warm in the winter. And it's really hard to cool in the summer. So I can imagine in the winter, it's super cold. But in the summer, it must be horrendous. It must be like melting level in there. Tops off in all sorts because, you know, it's just crazy. And the one thing I have to give Berlin clubs credit for is that they do keep them really well air conditioned. They're, they're really good with flipping them locker rooms and cloak rooms and stuff. They've got decent bars with cocktails in them, you know, which is not really a thing you would do if you go to a nightclub. But I feel like most nightclubs in Berlin have pretty decent cocktail menus. But one thing they're really good at is making sure the clubs are cool, which is a complete opposite to our clubs here in London. The clubs here in London are so warm. 
it's ridiculous. Like, there's no chance of you ever going into a club in London that's got good air conditioning. It doesn't exist. I think some places even just turn it off because the costs are probably too high, especially with the cost of energy going up. But this little, um, on the screen now, there's a picture. Sorry, there's a, what you can see is basically a video, um, taken from Hop Tosse that features, it's titled, How to Set Up Turntables for a Club. And essentially, they've got an in-house team that just basically sets up, you know, all their audio visual computer, so all their audio set up inside the club. And I think in the article, they mentioned that they've got like up to between 60 to 120 people that work behind the scenes set up in the club, which I didn't know. So there's so many people that kind of work to kind of keep that place running. But this is a mark of how seriously they take clubbing there, that they have a guy who specifically knows how to tune a turntable for like a moving space in general so i love the fact that they go through everything it's really it's, it's really anal i watched it already i'm not going to kind of subject you guys to it but it's an amazing little video of him basically fine-tuning the techniques turntable and making sure and giving all these tips about how you can basically make sure it's leveled make sure it's kind of centered all this sort of acoustic stuff it's absolutely incredible to kind of check out and kind of goes to the fact of why I like clubbing out there so much because it's just high level in terms of how they present it. It can be a bit annoying. Like when you go to places like Bergheim and they turn you away because you don't look a certain way or because you don't match the vibe, it can be quite annoying and it, it can be something it's quite hard not to take personally that you're getting turned away from places. But when you do finally get into some of these spots, you realize why they take such a, why they go so hard to make sure people that are in there are kind of cool and kind of know what's up because the sound systems, the programming, who they book and stuff is just high, high level and I absolutely love it, man. So big up all of them, big up what they're doing out there. And I really, really honestly cannot wait to get out there and to kind of see what that place is about and rave in a boat. Because like I said, I played in boats before. I played in one boat where I was DJing for like an alleged 60, 70 night or something, which is absolutely horrendous. I'm so happy that I'm not doing that shit ever again, but it was really hard and really difficult to kind of keep the vibes going in a space like that. So I can just imagine what it must be like to run um, an actual club like that day to day. It must be absolutely crazy. So big up everybody associated with those guys. Big up everybody associated with those guys. Next on list here, we've got some interesting news regarding interesting news here regarding human made so this is courtesy of hypebeast and it says here that cause is now an advisor for nego's um label human made it's the label that he started after he essentially got kicked out of running um, um a baby nape after basically it bought it because of all the debts that they're basically accumulating because Nigo's one of the only people I think in streetwear overall who kind of went kind of semi-bankrupt or ran out of money because he was doing stuff at such a high level he decided to kind of pour every single bit of money he was making into basically producing really good garments or really high quality garments every you know he paid crazy attention to detail to labels to packaging to merchandising to store interiors architecture like just crazy stuff website design um everything in general was kind of you know went crazy the cafe and i think essentially that basically cost him his business and then overall it had to take it over and now it are basically killing that brand right they're bleeding it dry these crappy new balance collaborations they've got adidas ones are just terrible stuff but then nigo went on and obviously did what nigo does like most of those kind of core japanese guys they kind of always you know decide to jump on and do other brands which i always love the fact that they keep reinventing themselves another you know guy that i kind of look up to hiroshi fujiwara who's got fragment He's the kind of guy that kind of just kind of, you know, he's got so many brands that he kind of did when he was coming up and he just kind of started one, dropped it, did another one, dropped it, did another one, dropped it. And you just kind of have all these cool ideas. And when you look back, you have this amazing 
archive and catalogue of all these amazing projects that you started that all kind of you know a snapshot of the time that you're around but also have different aesthetic different feel and then usually what happens is that all those different projects that you do kind of feed into the final thing that you're kind of known for and i think you're kind of seeing that with obviously what nigo is doing nowadays and obviously he's kind of going to become kento designer blah 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 anyway human made is kind of going for a bit of a lull it feels like um so maybe it made sense to kind of bring cause in especially when you consider you know he's linked to streetwear the fact that he's an og og for real for real in the scene and not a cringy one and the fact that he had his own brand too back in the day called original fake that i thought was really underrated and i'm, I'm not really sure why that why that why that ceased to exist i'm assuming because the sales weren't good but overall he's definitely got a good eye and definitely somebody that you could kind of trust to kind of go in there and sprinkle some of his star magic and maybe do what skate thing used to do for bait back in the day because skate thing was on the you know graphic designers who was basically responsible for creating some of the great graphics that bape was known for the bape head design and those other things and camo designs and also so maybe cause is going to kind of step in and do the same sort of thing with human made going forward because it is a bit of a lull and of course with nigo doing kenzo now maybe his time is taken up doing that and he needs somebody to kind of help out you know with with um with human made day to day but this is the article courtesy of hypebeast it says, taken to Instagram, Nigo shared that Cause will now serve as an advisor to Otsumo Co. Limited. Otsumo, the parent company of Human Made, um, covers a wide range of lifestyle and related businesses and centers around making life on earth more interesting from the street. I'm sharing his excitement from the appointment. Cause said, Nigo and Tokyo Street Culture are a source of my design inspiration throughout the series of my collaboration with Human Made. Otsumo's um, vision for making life more interesting from the street has always resonated with me and I'm excited to join the team as an advisor to help them bring more ideas to life, which is pretty cool. It has been about 30 years since I first met Cause, and since then we have collaborated on various projects together. I feel very assured to have him, sorry, reassured to have him as an advisor for Otsuma Future. Um, we both come from the streets, continue to see each other grow professionally and personally, and I look forward to unique ideas realized through Otsuma. Thank you for joining Cause. The advisor position for Otsuma will build the creative power of Cause and Nigo and Cause providing a support in the company from an artistic perspective. What I like about that quote, you see how often they mentioned street. I love that these guys are still very much tied to and understand the value of streetwear and put it on the same pedestal as fashion or even higher. Because I feel like as much as I love the guys like Matthew Williams, the Tremaine at Denim Tears, Virgil, you know, before he passed away and whatnot, I feel like a lot of those guys see streetwear as a slight, even though most of them came up through streetwear, when they suddenly go into fashion and they start to do more quote unquote serious projects, they don't like to be looked at as streetwear anymore. Even Samuel Ross from a Cold War, who I'm a big fan of, he also somebody who kind of, you know, is not sometimes fond of being labeled or being boxing for the streetwear stuff, which I don't think is limiting. I think if anything, that kind of speaks to their ability to communicate with the actual public because all those guys, it took for about Matthew Williams, Virgil before he passed, even till now, Sammy Ross, all these people are able to shift products, are able to sell stuff. Even look at them now, Vetemar. That Vetemar, I feel like, you know, started off as a streetwear project before. Obviously, you know, it came from a very high fashion type of person in mind, considering, you know, Demna's experience. But what he put out on the runway was very streetwear focused. A lot of hoodies, a lot of t-shirts, um, sneakers, denim, you know, hats and whatnot, 
all those kind of basic tenants i feel like of the kind of building blocks of flipping streetwear and then over time it then become the overriding sort of influence of cross fashion and now it's kind of like interlinked to sort of like you can't kind of detach streetwear from fashion at all because it's always going to be a part of it even though these fashion commentators and whatnot will keep saying that we're returning to flipping tailoring which i always thought was like a weird racial dog whistle to get the blacks out of fashion because they hated us sitting on the front row you know rappers smoking blunts arriving late and whatnot so they kind of always say we're returning to tailoring which basically meant get all the caucasians out of the runway we don't want these blacks out here anymore but i do like that these guys at the top of their game are still mentioning streetwear and still saying that these you know basically streetwear is basically responsible for their success and they're not you know ashamed of being associated with it so i love that i really do love that but the one thing i do remember my favorite thing that i love about flipping um cause i kind of just thought about now was the cause do you remember this it was a cause bape uh chomper varsity jacket this varsity jacket i remember queuing up outside the, the busy workshop in upper james street in london if you know you know and queuing up for hours to try and get this jacket then the store owner coming in and saying hey we only have four then the first four people that are in line basically buying one each and there was none left and then by the time we get inside the store after queuing the whole day the only thing i could buy was bape sellotape bape sellotape you you don't know that pain you don't know that pain man i, I went in there trying to buy a varsity jacket and i left with sellotape absolutely horrible but this is the jacket this jacket is an absolute grail this bape chomper jacket if you're not seeing the picture it's essentially a black varsity jacket with the classic kind of cores um x's on the chest and the sort of teeth design that comes across the flipping body the materials of it are gorgeous if i'm not mistaken i'm pretty sure the x's on the front are 3m or really high silver there's a really cool picture of i think um the clips or something wearing this jacket or maybe omarion in one of the bape catalogs as well that i remember from back in the day but it's a hundred percent grail and something that i went to buy back in those days but it was never flipping available it's such a cool jacket man so if cause able to do something like that as an advisor um or, or sorry as a collaborator back in the day just imagine what he's gonna be able to do now as an advisor with the keys to the flipping you know factory and obviously with the ear of nigo still being there it's gonna be flipping amazing to see so I have no doubt Cause is going to be able to do something amazing over there. I can't wait to see what he ends up doing because the stuff that he did, of course, with Original Fake and the collaboration he did with Bape were always up my street. But this Cause Chumper Varsity jacket was definitely a grail for me and definitely something that I remember Cause created back in the day that was absolutely sick. So let's wait and see what more he has coming up when that eventually does happen, what more he has coming up when that eventually happens. Moving on from that, we have to talk about this. So this is a fun one to talk about because this guy i actually know for a long time and i've kind of known him kind of from afar and online mostly through forums so this is um a collection i'm kind of loading up here courtesy of stray rats it's dropped one of their spring summer 2023 collection and the guy behind it julian I kind of know him from forums, from posting on these, you know, fashion forums back in the day where you post your outfits, where you'd post what you're buying and stuff, where you get ridiculed if you didn't know certain pieces, like you didn't know some bits of information, like whether or not some, the TVs on the, it, no, whether or not the, the store that had the TVs in the flipping window was supreme, you didn't know. He just said, oh, the store with the TVs on it. And you get ridiculed and stuff or, 
you know, you didn't know what date a particular item came out. It was really nerdy, crazy stuff. But it was funny to look back on because I remember those times, a lot of those guys that would kind of like, you know, try and e-bully you on the internet, which is so R-worded because none of that stuff ever impacts real life, really. But you think about it, some of these guys that were warring with back in the day um, and stuff were grown men back then because I must have been like, I must have been probably like 17, 18 or maybe even 19. But you're arguing with these grown adults, these grown men who have kind of traveled and been around the world and been into the things before you because they're basically older and they'll be arguing with you and debating you about the merits of a certain brand and why not is why this is good why this is not good it's just kind of funny just to kind of look back on it and kind of think about but it's also funny to see because julian was obviously a big part of it back in the day and then he went on to start straight stray rats and now he's kind of you know i'm um, one of flipping tyler creator's best friends obviously does other things as well and projects outside of it i'm sure of it but it's quite cool to see how he's built stray rats into building into being a legit brand and it kind of feels like maybe this is not fair to say because i know they've done the collaboration but it feels like maybe mark jacobs with heaven kind of got his inspiration from what um stray was basically doing this kind of nostalgia drenched um brand that kind of you know cares about graphics cares about colors um it's just really kind of unique in terms of its ability to sort of like synthesize a moment in time maybe like you know late 80s early 90s early parts of 2000s that particular kind of chunk in time where graphic design was the best where product shots were amazing where lookbooks were king like you just kind of be able to kind of funnel it all through one collection and it's great and i feel like you know the guys that know know that stray rats probably have some of the best t-shirts some of the best snapback hat designs and also some of the best kind of like you know cr you know um accessories here and there like belts beanies clips and whatnot i've really love what they do so big up um stray rats for putting together a good collection but it's just cool to see like somebody that i kind of knew you know back in the day basically making a really legit brand that's doing great things um which is amazing because i remember you know trying to order straight rats from the guy directly and trying to send him money via paypal and now he's got a legit store that's you know a legit store sorry online he's selling it to 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 stores all around the world he's shipping internationally and it's a legit business where he probably employs a bunch of people also but i'm going to check through the collection now to see what they've got here but it's all looking pretty, pretty decent. You've got a really cool t-shirt here. Um, it says Stray Rats Hardcore. I like the beanie, which kind of reminds me of like the um, stash, subwear, sort of like font in terms of what they're using also there. Let's continue to the next picture here. Uh, come on, load up, brother. Let's just, maybe just make it back to small. Let's just put it back to small because this is taking ages to load. Then you've got a really cool picture here as well, love. Um, with a features of graphic with a person with some straight relaxed hair over the eye kind of reminds me of what Louis Vert is going for in terms of his look I really do like that it comes in red and the blue then you've got a really nice hoodie here zip up hoodie with again the logo in that great um, you know that great kind of old school graffiti type of style um, you've got another one also with a, what looks like a children's illustration that says Wicked Twisted Stray Rats. I really like that. They've also got great sweatpants also. But I think that comes from, you know, Julian being a bit of a hardcore kid. A lot of those hardcore bands have really cool sweatpants and hoodies and whatnot. So he always does really cool, like, suits, I think, in my opinion. They're a little bit more interesting than the others. And obviously Rat Girl as well, I like as well, because it kind of reminds me of X-Girl from before. So it looks really cool. You got a nice T-shirt here also with a kind of bitmap image of the of, of the rat. You've got this really nice contrasting hoodie with the different colors on it as well. I love this. Oh, that again. What I said before about the flipping um, hats 
being the best dress. I got one of the best hat designs. I love this sort of like pinwheel design with the yellow, with the sorry, with the white and the purple. And again, you know, I really like the shape because usually straight rats have a high brim um, on the shape, which means people like me with massive heads can fit into them because usually a lot of the trendy hipster hats have a really small brim. So they only fit guys who like to wear their hats on the top of their head like that. But I like to kind of wear my hat, you know, kind of like a bit of an admiral. So it's nice to have brands that kind of create that. So it's cool to see that also. You have this nice chest design piece there also. The Wicked Stray Rats hat here is a nice feature. I like that. That t-shirt again with the emoji. I love this as well. Sorry, with the graphic bitmetal kind of style. That graffiti hoodie zip up is really awesome. I love all this. The t-shirts are really nice. The graphics are really strong on this. Again, a nice contrasting kind of color block hoodie is cool. I love that pullover hoodie. That's giving a lot of kind of um, old school Ibifery type of stuff. I like this. And it kind of ties in a lot to the kind of Y2K trend at the moment. I know. But Strayrats has been doing this before Y2K became cool. To be fair to him, he's been doing this for a long, long time. So it's just kind of coincidence now that everyone's trying to look like this. But he's been doing this sort of look in for a long time himself. So big up what he's doing over there, Strayrats. But again, the t-shirts look great. I love the flipping beanies, which probably won't fit my head, unfortunately, because I've got a big one and my hair's massive. I love this jumper, pushing the limits of standard chaos with Strayrats printed on top. Um, yeah but all of it looks absolutely amazing love it love it love it um the first drop is going to be available for march 21st available it's available now if you want to purchase it go and check it out let's actually check out the site and see how much of it is sold out i bet quite a bit of it let's double check here this is the main um site of course you can see the preview here let's click shop and see how much of it they've been able to shift i'd imagine quite a few bits and bobs yeah look see it's already stuff sold out whoa yeah that that kind of um what, what would you call that shirt um that kind of libertine sort of shirt with the guy on top is already sold out you've got the other one the black and white one that one's also sold out here what another favorite here they got sold out that hoodie is really nice i love that logo i'd probably wear that and that beanie oh okay the beanie's gone the beanie with the graffiti print is gone interesting that they that that's the one that's kind of sold but it makes sense as well because it kind of looks like that arteryx hat everyone's wearing at the moment all the kids on tiktok are wearing this sort of arteryx hat with the same sort of design this kind of like um this beanie that essentially doesn't really roll up that much i like mine to look at banaclavas to kind of cover how big my flipping hair is but um what you call it oh what's you just saying how much are the crop tops the crop tops where is it? i don't know the crop tops here oh this is the one yeah the crop tops are sold out but when they were available how much were they when the rack wrangling they were 40 dollars not bad see it's all that's the thing with with stray rats it's priced really well it's not priced like you know other streetwear brands it's, you know you could easily charge a hundred dollars for this but it's 40 dollars which is pretty decent i feel like so big up stray rats for keeping the prices nice and clean for the mandem and the gal them we love to see it big up him um but yeah my my kind of picks off of this would definitely be some of these kind of paneling hoodies um, this pullover hoodie here with this kind of what I'd kind of call like a hippie um, Ibiza sort of style graf um, graphic on it. This contrasting pinwheel type of hat is also great. The kid um, illustration hat is also awesome. Um, the sweatpants are great. And of course, some of the t-shirts as well. I'm a big fan of as well. So yeah, big up Stray Rats. Love what they do. Um, can't wait to see them continue, continue to grow again and again. They did great New Balance collaboration. Hopefully they do more New Balance collaborations coming up in the future. But yeah, definitely um, somebody that I'm a big fan of in terms of what they're putting out there. So big up them. Big up them. Next on the list, we have to talk about this. 
because I have to be honest, I am absolutely tired, tired of these shoes. I don't know why people like them. I really don't. The colorway is so basic. And the fact that everyone has them, there's actually a video going viral, I think, of TikTok, where somebody goes to Disneyland Paris. No, Disneyland, no, maybe Orlando or somewhere. That, maybe it's in America. It has to be America. And everybody, like every other person is wearing these flipping shoes. You know what they are? You know what they are? It's the Panda Dunks. Of course, it's the Panda Bloody Dunks. The black and white Dunks. The basic B-I-E-T-H-C-H, whatever, um, you know, shoe of choice. That's now become the shoe for everybody. It's not even like a B-I-T-C-H thing. Everybody's wearing them. I don't know why, because everyone has the same flipping colorway of a shoe, which would be my bloody nightmare, but I absolutely hate them. I absolutely detest them. I think they look awful, personally for me. I think they look awful, and I think they look really basic. But they're bringing them back again these ones the panda dunks by basically stealing yoon from ambush's design so remember the panda dunk it's a panda it's a dunk low with a sort of black and white colorway really classic sort of makeup but that's also been rinsed to death but this new one that's coming out for spring summer 2023 here courtesy of um over and under sound if you zoom into the picture you can see here it features a kind of exaggerated um swoosh that kind of you know is looks like it's detached but it's not which kind of lends from the yun from ambush design that she did on the dunks and it's also got these bumpers on the front and on the back that's basically what they've done they've added those so they've kind of taken they've taken um yun from ambush's um design codes what she's done with her shoes and basically apply them to the dunks and this is what nike used to do back in the day a lot nike would collaborate with somebody they did a really cool shoe the shoe would sell out and then Nike would take the idea, the premise, or maybe the colorway, and basically put it onto GR shoes. And over time, like down the years, they put them into more less less quality shoes until that thing completely came fleeced. And essentially, you're kind of devaluing the collab. And you're basically essentially using the collaborations as kind of like a springboard um, to sort of um, get ideas, or like an idea machine to kind of get ideas to kind of do it. But I really, really do like these. No, so I really don't like these. Sorry, I really don't like these. Um, I also don't like the addition of this. They've got like an ex an extendo tongue for some reason. So I feel like the dunk tongue is quite perfect. I do feel like dunks, you know, have this thing where like, I think dunks are kind of like similar to Air Force Ones. After a while, no, Air Force Ones are not like that because I think Air Force Ones, once you wear them a lot, sometimes they can kind of create an, a different character for it. It's all like a Converse. The more beat up a Converse or a Vans are, the better they look. But I feel like with dunks, the more they're worn, the more crazy they look and they start to really look like plimsolls and they look all flat and your feet are starting to kind of protrude and kind of force the leather out on the outside. It just looks horrible. So dunks, I feel like have to be worn brand new. If not, they completely go crazy. But I feel like the tongue on these, this extendo tongue is awful. Awful, awful, the extendo tongue. It looks really ridiculous. And yeah, I'm not really a fan of it in the slightest. But I feel like if I was Yoon from Ambush, I'd want some royalties or I'd want some kickback because this is definitely Yoon from Ambush's designs that they've kind of jacked here. Um, this rubberized swoosh that basically has an extended bit here that doesn't connect to the back, that's sort of um, floating, and these plastic bumpers at the front and the back that kind of feel like, you know, they're there to make sure that you don't fall over or they're there because you might be redacted. Like, I'm not really a fan of these, i got to be honest. They look absolutely awful and they kind of remind me of, you know, the most basic, basic of persons who has no idea what to wear and has to flip and look into magazines into what to wear or basically wear what everyone else has on, which I can never do. So not for me, would never do it, but I'm sure 
these are going to be so popular again in the summer and people are going to be all over them but i detest this makeup i detest them i think they've been really rinsed nike has gone out of their way to overproduce these and now they're going to flood the market with millions and millions of these more plus all the fakes that are going to be made it's going to be an absolute crazy time out there in the streets so stay safe if you do have a pair of panda dunks and you are considering wearing them please don't please put them in a bin somewhere and burn them i beg you but if you are going to wear them wear them quickly because this summer there's going to be way more coming look at that if you're looking down at them look how long that tongue is that's a crazy tongue it doesn't even fold over it's just a big tongue that just sticks out for nothing horrible 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 so yeah if you've got a pair already please make sure you wear them quickly because everybody and i mean everybody's going to have them this summer for sure especially around festival season you're going to see so many people wearing these during the summer in festival season in the parks and whatnot it's going to be absolutely crazy and there's nothing worse than being out and about you know feeling fly feeling cool feeling like you're owning the city and then seeing some random person wearing the exact same thing you have it can crush one soul i've been there trust me and i know it's over dramatic and i know i'm being a little bit annoying about it but i guarantee you i flipping hate it i flipping hate it anyway moving on from that we have some other news courtesy of dunks because again like i'm not the biggest dunk fan i have to be honest i've always preferred the air force one that's always been my preferred sort of like shape and silhouette when it comes to that level of paneling because a lot of people say dunks and air force one look similar even though they don't but that sort of paneling i prefer to go for an air force especially with the sole especially with the shape especially with the colorways perfect i feel like the air force one's a perfect shoe but a lot of people prefer the dunk because it's a little bit more slim a little bit more slivet, a little bit more sleek on the sh- uh, fleet, you know, sleek on the shoe. I can't understand it, but for me, especially now that dunks have become trendy, like I fucking, you know, the worst thing I can do is buy a pair of dunks now because I'm gonna look at everybody else and I hate looking at everybody else. I'm not really into that at all. But, but I may be tempted into going back into wearing dunks again after seeing these Supreme Ramosi lick dunks that are gonna be coming out very, very soon and these look amazing i'm not gonna lie and one thing i do like about them is that they're meant to be a dunk sb right but for some reason they decided not to go for the padded tongue it looks like either either it's a very thin version of the padded tongue that they have because like and if you don't know dunk sbs usually have a really fat tongue to sort of like you know mimic skateboarding shoes and also to kind of hold your foot in better and usually dunks sbs have elastic you can turn the spot dunker speeds because of the box but usually if the tongue has an elastic straps or cost you know on the side of them to kind of keep the tongue down that usually means they're sbs and also sometimes they'll pad the tongue up and put foam in it to kind of make them fat and kind of make the shoes look a bit bouncy so from what i can see in this picture they do look a little bit different than what i would assume dunks would look like the flipping tongue so i do like the fact that they've slimmed the tongue out and it may be a bit padded but it doesn't have as much padding as you'd imagine but I just like the kind of the makeup of them is perfect for me. You've got the addition of a black upper here. You've got this nice black new box sort of like suede toe box with um, the black eye lace stays. And then you've got this Ramon Lisi, um print all over here on the, on the, on the toe box and most of the body. And then you've also got the same sort of swoosh on the dark, 
on the sorry the same sort of suede on the swoosh. What I like about this material, especially in black, is that if you're gonna skate them, obviously skating these ollieing and tri- and doing flips and whatnot and tricks on your skateboard, once the kind of this suede rubs against the grip tape, it's gonna rub up and fade up really nicely. If you're wearing them day to day, like I will wear my sneakers anyway. If you're not skating, you're still gonna break them in and they're gonna end up looking great. Also, I like that addition because I feel like this color is gonna be really deep and dark, but over time, this sort of suede, this sort of new buck will fade and will crack and stuff and look really good over time. In my opinion, I know a lot of people that are gonna buy these are going to make sure they're buck fresh they're going to have them in plastic boxes they're going to be wear- walking like a duck to not crease them but for me i'll definitely wear these and beat them beat them into the ground i'm not going to have these flipping looking you know pristine the whole time because i think trainers should be worn overall but these look absolutely hard i love everything about them the print is really cool as well and i think they've also meant to be a dunk high that's also coming out in white so i like that that's a pack that's involved and then you've also got like a lace jewel here in the front which i'll definitely throw away straight away I'm not really a fan of lace jewels. I always take off the lace jewels on my Air Force Ones, by the way. It always comes with this little badge, this little Air Force One thing. That's the first thing that goes, and I relace them straight away. I think those little eye jewel, lace jewel things are just lame. These things here in the front, where it says Supreme. I know a lot of people kind of like them, but I'm not a fan of them. Same thing with wearing the tags on the shoes. I kind of chuck them away. But yeah, I do like to kind of lace them up, so I'm not really good on that one. So chuck those away and get those out of here. But again... The thing that kills it for me, what I love about it, is the gum sole. I'm a sucker. I'm a sucker for a black sneaker with a gum sole. Give me a black sneaker with a gum sole, and I'm there. The only thing I love more than the black sneaker with a gum sole is a black sneaker with white accents or silver accents, like a silver swoosh, a silver logo. Fucking love them. So these look really, really cool. Um, I do like these, and I'm kind of can't wait for them to come out. It says here, courtesy of Hypebeast, following initial images shared this month, on foot pictures of the SB um, Ramalizi have now been surfaced. Much like its high top counterpart, the iteration features a diverse work of the late American visual artist and bursts of black suede overlays um, across the mudguard lacing systems and medial swooshes. As previously seen, Gilded Supreme um, Dubris and the Ascent and the co branded world famous hang tags are additional. New information reveals that the collaboration will drop in July. Oh, so soon for $130. So make sure if you are in tune with these, they definitely go and pick them up because these are going to definitely sell out, especially them being black, you know, easy to wear dunks. Everyone's going to be all over them. Resale, I don't think will be crazy. But again, if you actually want them to wear them, then definitely check them out. But I have heard people saying that buying from the Supreme website has been really easy nowadays or these days because of the switch to Shopify, because before they were linked up with this platform called Splay that used to kind of handle their back end sort of stuff and whatnot. But now they switched um, to kind of full Shopify integration. And obviously, you know, they kind of know how to run shops and whatnot and e-commerce. So they've been able to kind of, I guess, um, alleviate some of the problems they had previously, or maybe just the stock has increased. Who knows? But I've heard a lot of people saying that it's far easier to cop on Supreme now. Obviously, if you wait hours, you're not going to get what you want. But if you're, you know, if you basically check the site around drop time, which I think is like 4 p.m., 11 a.m., I forgot what time it is, but usually around those type of times when things are meant to be dropping, you can definitely check out and get a lot of easy stuff without having bots and whatnot which is pretty cool to see so i can't wait for these to release when they do finally come out um the ramalizi um supreme um nike dunk lows they're also going to be coming out in dunk highs and they should be out in july according to the information of uh, courtesy of hypebeast and 130 dollars isn't too bad as well if you can get those for retail i recommend checking them out i recommend checking them out so moving on 
I want to quickly mention this because I saw these two articles courtesy of the BBC regarding sobriety and I've had other conversations with people and I was kind of briefly talking about it in this other sort of like, you know, um, London techno group that I'm a part of and whatnot. And a lot of it is kind of triggering for me because for me, um, it's kind of triggering because I feel like a lot of it kind of centers around like lifestyle shaming, which I've kind of got in like subtle really under under underhand kind of ways where people are basically you know will say stuff like oh my god you're still doing that you're still going to those sort of things in a kind of weird backhanded compliment sort of you know condescending type of way where they're essentially questioning your lifestyle choices and making it seem like because they're over it and which a lot of my friends are, are over partying and over going to raves and i've clearly got a passion for it which is the reason why you know i'm i'm, I'm i want to have my own club in the future um it's clearly something that i'm kind of wanting to pursue especially being a dj also but a lot of my friends are sort of moved on and they've kind of decided to do other things of course the pandemic sort of like sped that up i feel like i think a lot of people either double down on their drinking and drug taking or the pandemic made them decide hey i want to start a family hey i want a career move hey i want to move to another country or i just want a lifestyle change overall and people decided to kind of shed away their old self and when the pandemic was over things kind of returned back to normal and they didn't want to go back to going in the pub every day because to be fair to people as well the kind of drinking culture here in the uk was getting a bit crazy before the pandemic it was a bit excessive like especially places i used to work in i worked in social media i worked in marketing especially for startups and whatnot and that whole scene centered around you know drinks on a friday um stand you know drinks on a friday for team meetings drinks on a friday for company meetings um drinks during the week with your team members and colleagues and whatnot especially you know most of the places that i worked in startups in london were in places like in old street and liverpool street where I kind of they sort of refer to like our version of silicon valley so a lot of those places are where all the cool bars and restaurants are so because of where you are at work you just happen to be where all the cool cocktail bars are so you kind of end up going there um, especially if you've had a stressful day or just just any excuse to go there so the drinking became really really crazy with people and some companies i worked for they had a bar there'll be places like you know we work and stuff offices that would have flipping um pop basically um um, what you call it uh, they'd have beer on tap that you could basically buy and some places it could be free so it got a bit crazy so the pandemic maybe kind of helped but i saw this clip that i thought it was really cool and i thought this is really interesting because i feel like this is a the best kind of way to kind of go about it and this is courtesy of a clip taken from bbc and it features the manager of sidemen which is a youtube channel and collective um that's obviously really popular here in the uk and popular obviously all over the place a notable member being ksi and the manager of this is really young i think he's at like 24 or something killing it in this in the industry doing great things but he basically said like you know cutting out alcohol basically allowed him to succeed and kind of get to new heights in his career which is basically you know evident but let's um play the clip and you can hear what he has to say here i quit alcohol so i could become a success in business actually let me take Having been working at companies like Vice and Lab Bible, I was caught up in ultimately that party culture, which is so a part of those businesses. And I knew that I needed to stop in order to truly get ahead. 
So now that I don't drink, us at RK Media are very aware that others might not also want to drink. And we always want to make the culture inclusive of everyone, no matter what their enjoyment habits are in their social life. For example, if we have Friday beers and pizza, we'll always have a range of soft drinks on offer. Or if we have a company away day, there will never be drinking as an expectation. We'll have coffees, teas, and any other soft drink that people might want. And not everything is hosted in a pub. Not to say that not drinking alcohol is somehow better than drinking. You can definitely find a happy medium and that is ultimately a great position if, if you can do that. I think my generation, Gen Z, has a very different view to alcohol. Alcohol is much more about you as an individual and how you want to enjoy it rather than a culture setting the trend and saying that you need to drink in order to be a part of something. So I do like that and I, I do like the fact that Career-wise, I think that's very important to say in that how important it is to basically have some level of balance or to maybe abstain from the drinking alcohol, especially if you want to progress in your career. There's no doubt about it because for this guy to be 24 and to be the manager of Sidemen and doing what he does and basically, you know, living a pretty decent lifestyle, earning quite a bit of money, especially here in London and just, you know, just generally having a cool job that a lot of kids his age would want. You kind of have to assume that you'd have to put the party into one side because you can't be doing Wednesday, Thursday, Friday night drinks and also smashing it at work. It just doesn't kind of go hand in hand. And I do like the fact that this new generation now have become cognitive of the idea of kind of separating work and kind of play whereas i feel like my generation it was sort of like all the same like he speaks about places like vice and lad bible i remember the early iterations of vice when it was kind of what, what you call it when terry was still kind of taking pictures from there there would be vice parties here in london where they i think most metropolitan cities had that i'm sure i'm sure you new york had it but i'm sure i remember london vice parties were insane there'll be times that you'll be in these parties sponsored by jägermaster sponsored by red stripe sponsored by um i don't know anyone else liquor company out there alcohol company and you'd be standing there thinking how the hell are they paying for this like especially back in the day vice used to have a collaboration or long-term partnership but i think with ibm or one of those computer companies and they'd be having crazy parties where essentially they had an open bar the entire night and if you know anything about those trendy hipstery type of events usually open bars would be like a time thing so it'd be to kind of get people in there to make sure you kind of get a crowd you'd say open bar from like six to seven but after that people have to pay so you'd have to get people in to kind of get the free drinks so you take all the pictures but vice parties would be open bar the entire time of the flipping event whether it was an event for an exhibition whether it was some sort of book release a panel discussion there'd be drinks available on tap so if that was if that was if that was what they were doing for parties i can only imagine what it was like for the people working in the office it must have been crazy and office culture again in the uk was really 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 crazy before the pandemic because like he's mentioned a lot of our especially in the uk a lot of our social events and time to spend with friends was obviously in bars and pubs a lot of our pubs have really cool or have really good food maybe visiting chefs maybe pop-ups start there like you know various pop-ups like you know pizza pilgrims that's now become a, a nationwide sort of like pizza chain started off being like a street thing and then kind of developed into basically you know being its own legit restaurants but it obviously had pop-ups in in flipping pubs uh meat liquor which is a big one also uh, has now become nationwide started in pubs so the pub and food culture kind of goes hand in hand but it's very difficult to be in a pub with everyone drinking and just eat you know you kind of want to have a drink as well 
well. And at work, especially when you're at work with your colleagues, especially if you're working nine to five, nine to six, you're there all day, you're stressed out, you want to release and you want to hang out with your friends. And when you talk about non-work stuff, you go out for a drink. And it was kind of a hand in hand thing that kind of went and it got a bit nuts, especially in my, like I said, industry of working in startups where most of our offices were located in areas where there was a high concentration of bars and pubs and cocktail faces and nightclubs and whatnot. It just can get a bit crazy and a bit excessive. So I thought the pandemic came like at an oddly weird time and a perfect time to kind of put the pause on everybody and kind of make people kind of take stock and decide to kind of change up. And I do like the fact that in this office for Arcadia, I think Arcadia Media, whoever manages the sidemen, that they have an option where you can have kind of like, you know, soft drinks. They have like a fridge full of soft drinks that you can kind of take. So, because I remember back in the days when we used to work, when we used to kind of go to offices now, I kind of mostly work from home in the places that I've had jobs at. Most of the time, the the kind of the soft drinks would be an afterthought. Either there'd be like a fridge full of, of beers that, you know, companies send you as promotion or you'd buy, or someone would go and buy them at a local Tesco or Sainsbury's, but they usually forget to get soft drinks. So then you're kind of put in a position where you're kind of, only catering for the alcoholics because everyone wants the beers and the alcohols to be free because you know you don't want to pay for it of course so that kind of got a big setter so just having this as an option kind of allows people even if they did want to have a drink it gives you an option to not to have one you know it's kind of gives you good sort of um, option so you're not really being um silly in that regard but there is a part of me that also thinks that a lot of this sort of like sobriety talk is turning way too much into like a keto thing when keto was really popular and people are getting a little bit crazy with it and kind of turning it into their whole identity. Whereas I feel like in general, there just needs to be more balance. I think that's what people just lack in general. And I think I speak for myself and I speak for people that live in the Western world because I, you know, I've been to places like Spain, Italy, no, Italy, well, Spain, France and places like that, right? Where a lot of people drink, but they drink in moderation. And I feel like in the UK specifically, we have a real big issue with drinking in moderation. We have a real big issue with doing drugs in moderation. Everything is to an excess. And I feel like in, in UK specifically, we have people that operate on the extremes. Either they're completely sober or they're completely, you know, functioning alcoholics, drug addicts and stuff. And I feel like there should be a happy medium. As I, as I see when I go to places like Berlin, I see all these people who essentially go out and get messed up from Saturday all the way till Monday. And then Monday morning, they get to go to work like nothing happened and just kind of wipe the slate clean and go on again with life. But I feel like with us, the party always kind of rolls on every day. Like, you know, there's many people that I've heard who have kind of been working and doing drugs and whatnot during the week or drinking during the week. It kind of gets a bit excessive and a bit crazy so people just always need to kind of go down the sobriety route because they don't see any other option where they could go to a bar and order one drink and be cool it always has to turn into 17 whereas i feel like a lot of people could could kind of learn or kind of try at their best if they could possible to try and kind of operate in a world where you can have some level of balance and whatnot but of course the gen z kids for some reason have an ability to do it. And I think like the whole Gen Z not drinking thing, I think is a bit overblown. Cause when I go out, I do see a lot of Gen Z kids and I feel like they're probably the first generation who I feel like have introduced, which is something that happens a lot in Berlin or other places like in Europe, like Spain and Italy and France, where a lot of people sometimes go out, especially for parties and they just drink a soft drink and they maybe do drugs, but they just have a soft drink and don't drink any alcohol. Where I feel like here in the UK, alcohol and drugs are kind of go hand in hand. Whereas this newer generation, I feel like are coming up and have kind of made it cool to go out and just not have any alcohol or pre-drink before and they get from home and not buy more. So you're not coming out of the club, you know, absolutely wasted and just do some gear at the club or just not do anything. So that obviously is happening. But I feel like the whole 
the whole Gen Z thing, our sober thing is a little bit overblown, in my opinion, a little bit overblown. But there's a really cool article regarding it anyway. Curse of the baby, curse of BBC, curse of the BBC that speaks on it. I'm going to quickly read it now. This is Curse of the BBC. It's called Work Life. Get it up on you on the screen. Obviously, you can see some cool-looking Gen Z kids here on the cover image. It says, A complex combination of outside pressures, information overload is driving young people to snub alcohol far more than generations before them. So let's read this article. As a teenager, Lola's drinking went in cycles. There was a night um, heavy drinking, then a regretful day spent piercing together. So piecing together the previous evenings together. Next, a period of sobriety before the next big night out. But when this pandemic hit, Lola moved back with her parents in London and her drinking came to an abrupt halt. Um, lockdown, she says, presented her with an opportunity to step back. Now 22 years old student, 22. Jesus Christ. Imagine that, man. That's cool. Is enjoying a different relationship with alcohol. She re recently tried clubbing sober and although she still drinks, it's much. <laughs> I love that sentence. This sounds like a very Burt Crasher sentence, right? A different relationship with alcohol. She's still going to the club. Although Richie tried clubbing sober, I did drink. It's like, because I've, I've said it many times. Anybody that lies to you and tries to tell you, oh my God, clubbing sober is so illuminating. It's eye opening. It can change your life liar they're lying they're lying they're lying i go to a lot of clubs i've been to a lot of places i've also been there sober let me tell you and i and i can have fun i can have my own fun i can be my own party it's boring and crap and annoying going to club sober it can be done but it's in my opinion especially if you've been introduced to clubbing the other way it's it doesn't it pales in comparison because sure it can be done but let's not try and act like it's a better option because it definitely isn't it continues here it says, um, I'm not anti-drinking, says Lola. Um, I just don't like getting drunk or feeling ill the next morning. I feel like I like going home safely and remembering people I met. Sober nights work well for me. This is definitely something that I can kind of relate to, but I feel like this is very much an uh, example of why, of, and more of an example, more of a consequence of like drinking too much. Because if you drink, you know, to get a buzz and to chill, you can go back home and have, and not have a crazy hangover the next day. It's only when you go excessive, you start mixing your stuff, you start doing loads of drugs, that suddenly it becomes crazy and it extends to a two, three day hangover. Because now I know if I go out, usually it can turn into a two and a half day hangover, which is absolutely brutal. Especially if you want to get stuff done, it can make you feel horrible about yourself and all this sort of malarkey. But I feel like if you drink in moderation, you can you can have the ability to limit the effects of the flipping, um, you know, hangover. And of course, if you listen to people like Dr. Huberman, he's got loads of different tips that you can use. Magnesium tablets, every drink that you have helps drink your loads of water. There's stuff that you can do to limit this, to minimize it. But, you know, it is what it is. Lola isn't an anomaly among her friends. She says all have been drinking less than the pandemic and she feels no judgment from her peers when she's not drinking. Friends who haven't limited their drinking as much as me think it's cool when people go out and sober. It's a you do you mentality where people are respectful of your choices, whether you're protecting your mental health or just don't fancy it. And I feel like that's the main difference with this generation coming up, the Gen Zs. I feel like my generation was very much peer pressure. Like I said before, like my first dalliance, unfortunately, with doing the MDMA was when I got spiked by a friend because they, they, they thought I'd enjoy it, and which I obviously did. But still, I got spiked, right? I got Burt Kreischer when I first had MDMA. And, you know, in general, when you go out, there'd always be somebody saying, hey, do you want a bump? Do you want a line? Do you want to have a bit of this? Do you want to have a bit of that? Do you want a bit of this? Do you want a bit of that? Always people offering. And when you people offer you those type of things and you're a broke kid with not much money, it can be hard to kind of turn it down. So you're going to end up doing stuff that you don't actually want to do just because people are offering it. Now, it's not pressure, 
but they're just offering it and sometimes you feel pressure but just the offering alone can maybe make you try it and then suddenly now your whole entire night has completely changed from what you're going to do before so i definitely understand in that regard it continues experimenting with alcohol and drinking to an excess has long been the scene uh, as a rite of passage from in, into adulthood at least in western western cultures from an early age often before the legal age alcohol is embraced as a societal lubricant a way to have fun make friends and escape the day-to-day realities few professionals or social environments are without the form of alcohol alcohol sorry but gen zers are taking it slow as they enter adulthood either by not drinking at all or drinking less often in less quantities than older generations the uk's largest recent study of drinking behaviors showed in 2019 16 to 25 year olds were the most likely to go teetotal that's incredible man that's really cool to see that there's a whole bunch of like 16 to 25 year old kids that just don't care about booze that are just chill they don't care about drugs like that's pretty awesome honestly um, we're most likely to be teetotal with 26% not drinking compared to the most likely generation of 55 to 74 year olds. 50% of them didn't drink. Among US adults, um, Gallup showed um, those ages between 35 and 54 were most likely to drink alcohol with 70% compared to Gen Z is a 60%, boomers 52%. While a study from 2022 found that the portion of the college age Americans who were teetotal has risen from 20% to 28% um, in a decade. Of those who drank the large portion of the young Europeans defined as over the age of legal imminent, um, drinking up to age 39, drinks once per month, 27%. While in US, the biggest group drank once a week which is 25 percent and i'm kind of lucky in that regard because i've always said like my kind of very strict christian upbringing which i really hated when i was younger because i wasn't allowed to go out certain places or i had people asking me questions where i'm going well it's just kind of got annoying but one thing that i can really say that i was really happy that my parents did was keeping me in church for that long because my first drink of alcohol must have been like in my early 20s i must have been like 24 three 24 maybe even which is crazy to think of that when i had my actual first beer which is nuts but i also think because i wait because it had to wait so long it was very difficult for me to kind of build up um it's kind of difficult for me to kind of suddenly become addicted to it and then because i had it so late it also kind of became lame to be addicted to it you know because i had loads of fun before without booze i knew how to have fun but without it it didn't really exist and then when i'm going to clubs now i don't need it to kind of get hyped and stuff where I can still kind of have it if I want to, but I don't need it as a kind of thing. And also, because I've never had any drinks at home, it wasn't necessarily a drink to go to for, you know, some people have always have a drink with dinner. Like I remember listening, talking to some dude on the train um, and I was, we were talking out loud to my friend about, oh, you know, I remember listening to a podcast and somebody on the podcast said they got through like 12 bottles of beer, sorry, 12 bottles of red wine per week. And I was in my, in, in, on a train talking aloud, thinking, how am I, how can you get through 12 bottles of red wine a week? I was like, this is crazy. But then I remember the, this guy on the train just bumped into our conversation and he said, hey, I'm a, basically, you know, I'm in recovery. And he said that I could get through that easily, but it's not that much if you think about it, because if you actually like to drink alcohol, you can have that one bottle and finish a bottle per day. And if you're working from home, it's even more crazy, especially if you have a partner, because you're drinking while you're making food, you're drinking while you're, while you're eating a food, you're drinking after. So I was very fortunate in that my house that I grew up in, um, there was never booze and we never drank and drinking alcohol was never like the drink of choice of a meal. It was always water, um, some sort of fizzy drink or soft drink, but there was never any booze. So the idea of me always having a, 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 a you know, some alcohol with a meal didn't really it didn't really kind of click until later on. And by then again, I couldn't really develop a, a kind of addiction to it. So I'm very fortunate in that regard because there are other parts of my life where, you know, it could have gone left. 
It continues. Um, the decline in youth drinking, according to experts, is remarkable um, and widespread in the most high-income US, sorry, European countries, as well as the US, Australia, and New Zealand. During lockdown, Gen Z Australians were most likely to be decreased their alcohol consumption, with 44 reporting that they're drinking less, which is a big deal because Australians like to get it in when it comes to booze. The Australians are very much like UK people when it comes to drinking. More than double the rate of any generation. Rates of binge drinking among New Zealand's young people also dropped by more than half between 20, 20, 20, 2001 and 2012. It continues. Pinning the downturn on one particular driver, however, is impossible. Um, Gen Zers are growing up in a unique social landscape where, weighed down by financial and societal worries, they're more risk-averse. They have a nuanced understanding of how drinking impacts their mental health and that people around them. Um, consequently, a youth culture that has denormalized drinking is flourishing and a change is being felt. As Gen Z reshapes the idea of a good night out, often societies often socializes without drinking and trade the hospitality industry from uh, uh, move. Sorry, uh, the trade and the hospitality industry are moving at a fast pace. I've seen this myself because I see a lot of Gen Z kids that go out nowadays, especially in the clubs I go to, who are more worried about their outfits and how they look than they are about getting messed up in the clubs. And I remember for me, when I used to go to nightclubs, it was like an escape. It was a place to kind of go, to kind of go get crazy. And kids nowadays, I feel like, are going to clubs to express themselves. So they're basically what you describe as club kids. They go in there to get taken pictures of. They go in there to connect to other people who like the same scene, same music, same scene. You see that happening in places like Unfold, Unfold, that happening all the time every Sunday and whatnot. But it's kind of popping up as a thing. Or even places like, um, what's the thing? Like Guttering, they do the similar sort of vibe. A lot of people going out just to show off their outfits, just to show off, you know, certain makeup, a hairstyle, connect with different people that are kind of into the same sort of thing. You know, build, link and build, link and build, as opposed to going there to categorically get messed up, which is what we used to do back in the day. Including and risk averse, part of the reason for the decline in drinking and Gen Z's appear to be the more cautious than older generations, both in terms of health and how their peers perceive them. It says here, quote, the decrease in alcohol consumption is certainly not happening because of alcohol policy, uh, because all risky practices are going down, drug use, unprotected access, risky behaviors like smoking, crime and driving hazardly. Young people are more risk adverse in general, says Amy Pine, a senior research fellow at the Center of Alcohol Policy Research, La Trobe University, Melbourne. A factor in the shift is young people today know more, far more about health risk, which is true because access to information is crazy now um, compared to before. Um, with more available research, open discussion, and their knowledge is increasingly multifaceted. Um, said She says, it's easier than ever to learn more about the perils of drinking, whether that's by a quick Google search, tapping into TikTok communities like Sober Talk, or talking with friends and family members. For example, concerns about losing control and developing a drinking addiction is markedly heightened among young people. Google research in 2019 has showed um, 20 by 41% of Gen Z has associated alcohol with vulnerability, anxiety, and even abuse. Wow. Oh, interesting. Um, while gen, while sixty percent of UK Gen Zers associate drinking with loss of control, um, almost double those who don't. The spate of drinking spiking in clubs and bars may also prevent um, serve as a deterrent, especially for women. Yeah, for sure. When that whole spiking thing was happening, I saw a lot of Gen Z kids basically saying they're never going to clubs ever again. So they're kind of getting scared away from clubs. They're kind of becoming, or they're very health conscious, which is definitely cool to see. But I just like the fact that there's a whole bunch of like 16 to 25 year olds that are not flipping, putting drinking and alcohol on a pedestal. And they're just kind of vibing and being them and being young and also not kind of limiting or 
you know, hurting their developing brain and their bodies with all this sort of nonsense and toxins they're putting in there. They're being clean. They're being vegan. They, you know, they're sticking away from all these, you know, seed oils. They're not drinking booze. They wreck, you know, they, they're doing all that cool stuff, which is nice because you're going to get really healthy grandparents in the future, which is nice. Plus with young persons, every move and being potentially played out in real time, social media or friends for friends and family and even employers letting loose comments loaded with risk. According to the same Google research, 49% of Gen Z say their online image is always at the back of their mind when they go out socializing and drinking. It's no wonder that 70% of, 70, sorry, 76, 76 percent and feel it's important to be in control of the aspects of their life at all times that's hilarious that they say that because that's a complete contrast or the complete opposite of what i was saying earlier about my tumblr right my tumblr from like 2017 that sort of era was just loaded with pictures and images of me drinking let me let me get it up again here and just and just show you because i feel like this is a definitely a big change in what we're seeing these kids do and definitely shows that they are probably way smarter than my generation in general and just smarter than all generations because they're able to kind of you know load up these kind of risks and be able to make the right decision so this is a this is my old tumblr from back in the day right the last post i made on this tumblr was july 27th 2017 and the first image you see in there is a picture of me holding a bottle of red wine in what looks like a forest rave so this must be sometime on Sunday afternoon. I must have been out already 25 plus hours and I'm already holding a bottle of red wine here, drinking in a forest, listening to techno music with a bunch of other, you know, crackheads out there, right? Absolutely crazy. And if you scroll down my entire Tumblr, everything includes alcohol. This is a Travis Scott event, alcohol, some sort of house party somewhere. This picture that's blurry, alcohol, me holding booze, um, random people that I don't know, alcohol, me on the bus with a joint in my mouth, probably boozed up food probably the day after recovering a bottle of whiskey like everything has to do with booze like this a picture of me at flipping primavera festival with a friend like everything kind of is centered even food is centered around flipping booze that we used to do back in the day absolute crazy look at it another picture again with me holding a bibbing bottle so it's quite cool to see that the kids nowadays are not really are kind of protective and scared about being portrayed like back in the day this to me was look was cool like to show people that you're drinking look like you're being cool and you had a personality and you were doing interesting things when now really a kid from gen z would have never been spotted you know see with a picture of them holding a bottle because it just looks too crazy people are going to think you're too cracked out which is why people are starting to do the whole lifestyle shaming thing so it's quite cool to see the change kind of happening in real time with all these kind of kids at the same time so i'm not going to not going to lie so anyway go back to the article here um it says here john holmes professor of alcohol policy at the university of sheffield as that there's also been a stock attitudinal shift not only to dengiers have a deeper awareness um of the health risk what else does have here um, but they also actively shun the notion of drunkenness which are absolutely 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 love um in the mind of late 2000s getting drunk and binge drinking was a way of friendships and formed um the solidified even um experiencing the negative effects together was a key part of making sustaining friends in, in adolescence early childhood but gen zers are more likely to see drunkenness as unpleasant uncool interesting i love that let's read that quote once again because i feel like it's fucking really poignant it says here in the mind to late 2000s Sorry, in the mid-late 2000s, getting drunk and binge drinking was a way friendships were formed and solidified. Even experiencing the negative effects together was a key part of making and sustaining friends in adolescence and early adulthood. But Gen Zers 
are more likely to see drunkenness as unpleasant, uncool, and uninteresting. How amazing is that, man? That's absolutely amazing. Big up the Gen Zers for seeing drinking as being uncool, but also don't make it your whole entire personality. <coughs> Sorry. Sorry, my fucking throat's going crazy here. Yeah, don't make it your whole entire personality. Have more to you than just not drinking. And also, if you don't drink and you don't into it, there's no need to kind of constantly announce it. I think just leading by an example, having your lifestyle being the way your lifestyle is and not using it like a badge of honor is a much better way to go about things. Because I feel like the whole lifestyle shaming, the whole putting it as a badge, the whole I'm better than you type of thing is really lame. And I feel like kind of goes against why you currently are probably not drinking in the first place. But again, what do I know? What do I know? Um... What we just what you're saying in the chat is better to get blasted early in life and get it out of your way so you don't end up like Papa in your early 40s. No, of course, of course. Um, I feel like, but it's different though because I feel like I've met a lot of people, especially in the UK. I've met a lot of people, especially who come from smaller towns, smaller towns where it's really boring. They don't have, you know, a lot of stuff to do for young people. A lot of those guys and girls uh, suffer a lot from you know drug abuse and alcohol abuse because they don't have anything to do so they drink really early and they start to do drugs really early and then they turn into you know druggies and alcoholics you know late in life also but a lot of those guys also have a thing where what Uche is saying where if you're from a small town and you started to you know you did your first line when you're like 15 most more, more than likely by the time you hit your late 20s you're kind of over it because you can you know that first high you can never get it back again you're kind of tracing a dragon but you kind of got it out of your system. You're not that bothered about raving or drinking or doing that anything anymore. So it's kind of it can go kind of both ways in general. But I think in, it's just nice to see that sobriety is now like a normal thing. It's not like a thing where I know a lot of people growing up where they used to dread birthdays. Like I had some friends, I'd be like, oh my God, man. It's what, what at the time? I don't know, between like June and September. They used to hate it because that would usually be the times where people are inviting you to barbecues. They invite you to birthdays, engagements, baby showers. And there'd always be a pressure to drink. And sometimes people would be, you know, especially in the UK, there's always like, oh, do you want, do you want a drink? Especially if someone's ordering around. And people are like, come on, just have one, have one, have one. So if you were trying to be sensible those social evenings were really stressful and it would kind of give you loads of anxiety and loads of stress and just kind of piss you off because you were put in a position where you kind of were shamed into drinking even though you didn't want to so people would kind of avoid those places and just not go so the whole working from home helped things and people settle down and people just generally just accept that hey you can go out have a flipping ginger beer and be and also be having fun with your friends you don't need to also kind of get into the booze and stuff which i feel like is absolutely incredible so big up damn gen z is coming up for absolutely changing the game and making it cool to be lame making it cool to be lame because lame is actually the coolest thing ever but also don't wear it like your identity, you know, have some sort of me, me personally, I'd much prefer to have like balance than to be like either or, but hey, just maybe that's me. Anyway, that has been the Agostino Zinga Show episode number 258. It's been, a, oh, it's 258, 658, sorry. It's been a pleasure to have your company. It's been an absolute mad one. Thank you for joining here. Thank you for chilling with me. Thank you for hanging with me. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you as per always. Big up the chat, big up everybody that's kind of joined in. Amazing. If you are watching this stream live, 
please make sure please if you can smash that like button for me make people know that people are watching this and they're engaging with it and they like what you hear if you don't like it of course you're more than welcome to throw a little thumbs down but if you did enjoy it throw a little thumbs up for your guy that would be greatly appreciated as per usual i'm going to be doing these three times a week you know how I'll just kind of throw them up randomly so that'd be good if you want the random show i'm probably going to do one on sunday that may be coming up definitely yeah maybe sunday so if you're around on sunday check me out i'll probably do the random show um heading out to sunday so that'll be definitely good but for everybody else here thank you for hanging out with me if it's saturday where you're at enjoy your saturday have some fun chill out you know relax have a good munch and whatnot with your fans and what and i'll see you guys again on the other side very very soon i'm going to play an outro here and a little slideshow some images that i had loaded up here that's a little bit lame but you know what let's just do some lame stuff because doing lame stuff sometimes can be fun doing lame stuff sometimes can be fun so <clears throat> bear with me while i get those images up on here on the screen so you guys can enjoy it but yeah, thank you so much, you guys, for flipping, um, hanging out with me. It's been a pleasure. So we're going to kind of close out with some nice jazz and whatnot for the video side of the show. But of course, if you're watching, if you're listening to the audio podcast, you'll hear a proper tune of the day. So if you want to listen to my actual tune of the day and what I've been banging this, you know, this past weekend or this weekend overall, then definitely check out the audio version of the show that'll be available tomorrow. You'll definitely hear me playing um, a record that I flipping be loving right now at the moment. Um, basically from danny what you call it um oh what's his face jpeg mafia and danny is danny brown right yeah danny brown and jake mafia album so definitely check that out if you haven't already but yeah we're gonna out you with some jazz and then i'm going to see you guys again very soon take care my friends take care